for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. of my friends and fans and family. It is great to be here with you on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Welcome, welcome. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. And I am Cynthia Bryan. We're brought to you by Be the Star You Are charity. And our miracle moment for today is one by Oprah Winfrey. And the quote is, cheers to a new year and another chance for us to get it right. Well, we bring that to you by Be The Star You Are. You can visit Be The Star You Are at BeTheStarYouAre.org. Well, I'm very excited about our guest coming up in segment two today because having grown up on a cattle ranch, I've always been a huge fan of Westerns, you know, I mean, who didn't love stories of Davy Crockett and Jim Bowie and, you know, we used to watch reruns of Wagon Train and Bonanza and Rawhide and Gunsmoke and all of those. And so uh, you're going to just love this book. It's by Red. It's by John Lane, and it's his second book um, in this series. And it's called Red River Reunion, and it takes place in 1877 in Texas. So I'm really excited to talk to him because, it, you know, it features gunslingers and marshals and and um, Indians, and of course, I know that's not politically correct today, but that's what they were called then. So we're going to have Texas Rangers and all kinds of stuff of upholding the frontier law. So that's coming up in segment two. And in segment three, a vaccine alone will not be enough to uh, rapidly extinguish the pandemic of COVID-19. So most likely it's going to take at least, uh, you know, six months to a year for the layers of defense to provide a barrier. So one of the models for dealing with this human, technological, and natural elements is being referred to as the Swiss cheese model. And we're going to look at it and how we might be able to battle the virus in 2021. I can't believe it. It's 2021. Well, I do just want to touch on today is... Um, Twelfth Night, which is Three Wise Kings Day that we always said in our Italian household. We always celebrate it because the Three Wise Kings come and they usually bring an avocado or a tangerine and 25 cents. But it's also a sad day for America with the riots going on at the Capitol in Washington, D.C. And I, oh, I'm just... I'm appalled by the behavior of our deranged lying president who refuses to concede his loss. And he encouraged and incited the mob in a violent insurrection. It's just an assault on our democracy and constitution. It seems like what's happening here is what usually happens in banana republics, not the United States. But on Star Style today, um, we're not going to talk about current events because you can watch the live coverage wherever you are. And mostly I am just very uh, excited about the elegant writing and descriptive characters 
in John Lane's um, page turner. And so you'll want to stay tuned to segment two. And right now, I want to bring you some gardening trends for 2021. Each year at the beginning of the year, I would like to look forward and see what are going to be the trends that are coming up. So hello to 2021. I mean, we have been holding our collective breaths for the past 10 months, desperately anticipating a new beginning with a new year. So how are you feeling? Do you have any renewed enthusiasm for living? Are you just ready to dig in? So every year, the Garden Media Group releases information on what trends are formulating for the next season of horticulture. Now, 2021 has been very aptly titled the new the great reset and i think that's such a great title because we're still sheltering in place we're still connecting with loved ones and friends mostly online and by phone and the world is connected through these shared experiences because of this global pandemic and we impart information to one another and to help each other cope and to prosper now 2020 was actually the year where gardens, open space, and nature in general became a priority for maintaining wellness in body, mind, and spirit. Roomier homes with large backyards and acreage were in high demand as social distancing developed into the norm. Gardens became the bridge to building confidence and resilience while connecting communities and neighborhoods. And in 2021, the great outdoors will become even more critical as classes of all creeds are going to move outside. So you can expect to experience yoga, dance, do your physical workouts, art, cooking, entertainment, and lots of activities for kids, all scheduled in outdoor spaces. And it's no longer necessary to be tethered to the high cost of living in big cities because working remotely is allowing employees to be closer to family, and especially to fresh air. Now, research indicates that over 16 million people started gardening for the first time during this pandemic, and most of them are under the age of 35. More than half of American adults are spending at least two additional hours outside today than before the outbreak started. Two extra hours. That is such good news. And in 2021, gardening is actually going to become part of everyday life. And it's even going to infiltrate school curriculums if it hasn't already. Currently, 67% of adults are growing or plan on growing edibles. Berries are the most prevalent. Plus, 52% of people are already growing vegetables 33% are growing herbs and 31% growing fruit. That is really big. People are concerned about food scarcity. And so they are learning to grow at least a little bit of their own. So what's trending up for 2021? Increased online sales of plant and garden products that's going to offer convenience, speed, and safety. Parks, trails, and open spaces are going to become part of daily life. Interior scaping is going to become a new buzzword as stores and businesses bring the outdoors in. There'll be greater demand for houseplants for every room, especially home offices. And as we know, indoor plants, they clean the air, they provide oxygen. Tropical plants are going to grace what we call garden rooms indoors. Certified wildlife habitats and pollinator gardens are going to be spreading more widely. 
educational courses, how-to videos, and garden consultants are going to become the routine learning tools that all of us need. A surge in home cooking and the fear of food scarcity does mean that growing one's own fruits, vegetables, and herbs is a necessity. Repopularized will be canning and preserving food for the future. Children will be introduced at a younger age to the treasures of nature. And miniature plants to grow on windowsills or under grow lights or under glass for those living in small apartments without yards will be more readily available. And best of all, we're all going to learn to live with nature and protect our ecosystems because it's going to save lives. So the benefits of gardening are innumerable and will grow even more fashionable. Increased health, decreased stress, improved wellness, and stronger bodies through garden chores will lead to happier, more balanced lifestyles. And in 2021, we will embrace nature as part of our being. Now, nature isn't something that's going to be out there in the wilderness. Nature is going to thrive in our backyards, on our rooftops, on balconies, on porches, or even on windowsills. And our very existence will depend on creating a sustainable balance between humans and all creation. And my hope is that we're all finally understand that there are no mistakes in the garden. As I always say, failure is fertilizer just to grow anew. So my motto for 2021 is just garden. So that's a real happy new year with revived cheer. We can get it right. Now I have a few uh, garden tips for the month of January. So first of all, detach ornaments, lights, and tinsel from your Christmas trees and leave them on the curb on your garbage pickup day. If you have flocked trees, they can be cut up and put in the green bins, but they're not going to be picked up by your garbage company um, or your recycle company. Uh, Lower your anxiety with the Japanese practice of Shinrin-yoku, or forest bathing. And we've talked about that many times on other shows, but basically it's just take a walk in nature because you're going to immediately experience relaxation and de-stressing. So it can be walking in a park, it can be walking on a trail, or it can be taking a hike, But you and you don't have to be in a forest to do it. You can just... Do it anywhere where you can get outside and have some trees around you. Remove wrapping from any holiday gifted plants to allow for drainage. So if you've got poinsettias or, or orchids or cyclamen or any of these very pretty holiday plants and they came, you know, in sparkly paper, make sure to take it off because you don't want the roots to rot. It is time to prune deciduous fruit trees, bushes, flowering shrubs, and cane berries. Now, roses can be heavily pruned towards the end of the month. And here in the western states or wherever it's, you know, there's not snow, you can probably prune through the end of January. It's also time for your second application of a dormant spray aimed to kill the many overwintering insects and diseases. And you do this after you have pruned. My narcissus are now blooming. They've been blooming for about two months now, and they just keep sprouting up. So pick a few sprigs of narcissus to perfume an entire room. You just need a couple. I mean, they just smell, you know, it smells like perfume. 
It's time to plant bare root fruit trees, perennials, berries, and vines. They cost less, and they're going to adapt quickly to their new homes. If you want to add a really beautiful, uh, lush greenery, you can add acanthus to your landscape. And they will have a floral spike that comes in the spring. So it's a beautiful plant. And in fact, acanthus is one of the things the Greeks used on capitals on columns. It's, um, you can buy healthy meal kits with farm fresh ingredients from several people now. I like to use Sun Basket if you aren't growing your own. You can build a river rock dry creek to direct runoff rainwater just by using different rocks. It's time to either order your bare root roses from your local nursery or you can go online. I like davidaustin.com. And you can brighten your winter landscape with sweet peas, society garlic, and also guara. It looks like floating butterflies. But whatever you do, continue wearing your mask, social distancing, and washing your hands. We're still in the midst of the pandemic, and we will be for a while. But happy gardening, happy growing, and lots of cheers for 2021. And when we come back from break, we're going to be talking to John Lane, author of Red River Reunion. It is going to be so great to hear about his story because he is passionate about history and passionate about the Wild West. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be right back. Be the star you are. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryant, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. 
Follow the Voice America Empowerment Channel on Twitter. You already know we're full of great ideas, and our hosts have plenty to say. We want to hear from you, too. Be sure to follow us at VA Empowerment and come back every day to see what's next. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. Well, we are having the power party now because my guest, John Lane, the author of Red River Reunion, has joined me. And I am just so thrilled to introduce you to him. He's just a talented writer. As I said earlier, he's passionate about history and classic classic westerns. And he is a senior detective in North Texas. And he actually grew up watching westerns and reading stories of the Old West. And now he is writing all these. And Red River Reunion is book two in the series of a Luxton Danner novel. Welcome, John, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Just great to uh, be on your show. Well, thank you. This was just a phenomenal story, so well-written, so lush and rich with historic details. It's set in 1877 in Texas, and I want to start, uh, first of all, with um, something that I read on your blog about how you are, you know, you find your characters often, you're just sort of interrupted in the middle of whatever it is. You could be hosting a party or whatever, and sometimes you have to go and draw, you know, jot things down. But you have been in law enforcement since the 1980s, and now you're a detective. Well, I guess you've been a detective for quite a while. But are your two main characters of U.S. Deputy Marshal Luxton Danner and Texas Ranger Wes Payne, are, are they based on people you knew or yourself or a conglomeration of, you know, many people? Tell me about these two. They're so fascinating. <laughs> Well, thank you for the compliment. Uh, you know, both of those characters are, are not um, really based on a singular person. Uh, actually, Luxton Danner is, is somebody that I would love to be, uh, oh, quite I honestly. Know. But, so uh, cool. <laughs> they're both so uh, but cool. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're a, um, you know, a compilation, really, of, of a number of individuals that uh, I've worked with and such. But but more than that, they're they're just uh, characters that uh, came to came to me, and uh, that I decided to uh, really just create to create these characters from um, really uh, not nothing, but again, uh, just kind of create them from uh, you know some of the personalities that uh, that I've known over the years. And there's definitely no question there's a part of me in both of those characters. Well, and that's a very big compliment too, because they're 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 just they're good guys, you know. They're strong, they're brave, and I don't know you. I they're just I would want them in my corner for sure. Can you tell us um, what's the difference between a U.S. deputy marshal and a Texas Ranger? 
Well, the uh, the, the United States Marshals uh, are, of course, federal uh, officers, and you know they do date back, uh, you know, back uh, into the 1800s and so forth. Uh, so they were, uh, you know, based out of Washington, and uh, they uh, were, uh, you know, distributed uh, out into the country in in different districts. And the Western District of the United States Marshal's Office was based in Fort Smith, Arkansas, back in the day. And uh, that's the primary responsibility uh, for that particular district in in my setting in 1877. Uh, They were in charge of uh, what is now Oklahoma, but back in those days, it was just considered the territory or the Indian territory. Indian territory, right? uh, Indian territory, yes, right. 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 Yeah, that's where Fort Sill was there, and and uh, some of the uh, some of the uh, early reservations, and and they're still there today, of course. But they had been established in that area, so uh, there really wasn't any. Uh, there wasn't a statehood. There wasn't any government action there. So uh, really, the enforcement was, uh, you know, the responsibility was put on the United States uh, Marshal's Office in the Western District there in Fort Smith. So. Uh, that's uh, that kind of covers, you know, the marshals being federal officers, whereas the Texas Rangers, the Texas Rangers were uh, back in those days, they, they were a uh, law enforcement uh, organization that really was uh, put together by the state of Texas and the governor's uh, office. And back then, uh, basically, their chain of command uh, was directly to Austin, Texas and the governor's office. So. Uh, it has changed since then. Modern-day Texas Rangers uh, are still alive and well and uh, a great organization, and they are now part of the Texas Department of Public Safety, which is the state police organization here in Texas. So is that was that part of what you as a police officer out of Houston when you were at the police um, department, are they Texas Rangers as well? No, no, no. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I have worked for and and still work for um, more local organizations. Now, the organization I'm with now is a statewide organization, but uh, like the Houston Police Department, they were city officers. I was an officer that you know just worked for the city of Houston. Uh, the Texas Rangers had statewide jurisdiction uh, here in Texas and still do today. And back in, in my time setting in 1877, they, of course, did have uh, statewide jurisdiction. Uh, and at times, they would travel outside the state of Texas if they were uh, looking for a particular outlaw or, or, you know, criminal or something like that. Uh, but uh, primarily, they were uh, charged with the responsibility of being more or less the state of Texas's uh, law enforcement agency uh, back in 1877. Well, let's talk about 1877, because this is the time frame of your novel, Red River Reunion. And it is filled with gunslingers and outlaws and, and, um, and, and brave people who are trying to homestead or start new towns or whatever. So what was the inspiration for doing 1877? I know you're passionate about history and I know that you love horses and there's a lot of horses in this, which I love these horses. (laughs) As I told you, I have, I had, 
I had a dog named Bullet, so I love the horse named Bullet, and you had a horse named Ringo in here. So, um, but tell us about the time frame of 1877. What was so fascinating about that time for you? Well, you know, it, th that's a great question, and, and I'm not sure I've been asked that one uh, previously, but I, I more or less settled on the later 1870s, and, and I did settle, as you, as you know, on, on 1877 to begin my series, uh, basically because of the time frame that uh, had passed from the end of the Civil War and the Reconstruction period in the Deep South. Well, that makes uh, sense, the yeah. Yeah, the the Reconstruction period in the Deep South, of course, uh, really uh, changed uh, the the uh, the southern part of the United States dramatically in a lot of ways, of course. And one of the ways it did was that a lot of uh, people that uh, were in the the Deep South, the southeast part of the country, uh, they weren't terribly happy with. Uh, the reconstruction. So they packed up their wagons and, and got on their horses and, and they started traveling westward uh, to new settlements and, and the, the new territory. And because of that, and that's just one facet of it, that's one part of it, but uh, many of them came through uh, the state of Texas and uh, you know, travel back then obviously was incredibly difficult, particularly in 1877. Uh, the weather conditions back then, it was extremely hot. It was extremely dry. There, were, there was a drought all across the, uh, the Southwest, and uh, it was very, very difficult traveling. So many of the settlers that started out for, say, California, Colorado, Nevada, uh, they got as far as Texas, and, and they just stopped. They, they ran out of money. They, their horses and, and their livestock were dying and such. So uh, they ended up uh, starting settlements here in the state of Texas, particularly along that Red River route. Uh, that right. was a pretty well-known path. That. Yeah. Red River, because I really wasn't familiar with Red River, and it sounds like it actually was red, what, from the red dirt. That must have been very a lot of iron in that dirt, you know, going through it. But there was so much lawlessness along that river, and so many, uh, there, it just seemed like so many toothless, I'm going to call them toothless <laughs> gunslingers, really, because they, I just can't even imagine what some of these people looked like or what their behavior was, because um, they were just after a bit of money and they didn't mind who they killed or who they kidnapped or what happened. So what a job for marshals and rangers and just ordinary people. They, The people that were coming in wagon trains or horses had to be incredibly brave. Did they usually have scouts with them? Well, they did. They had scouts. Uh, you know, the, the organized wagon trains would actually hire guards, uh, which, you know, were basically gunfighters, gunslingers, uh, wannabe lawmen, that sort of thing. Anybody who was willing to, you know, sell uh, their protection uh, would get hired on by some of these more organized wagon trains. But a lot of the settlers, you know, they would gather, you know, five, six families together and they would take off and they didn't have a, a particular uh, wagon boss. They didn't have any guards riding with them. So uh, the danger level for them was really elevated quite a bit. And again, along that, that northern border of Texas here, 
uh, and the southern border now, of course, of Oklahoma, the southern border of the Indian territories, was very dangerous because the territory, again, was not governed. Uh, it really wasn't under, uh, you know, strict control. So many of the uh, country's outlaws and, and such that were fleeing the law, you know, they, they fled into that area because they knew there was a level of protection there. There weren't town marshals. Uh, there weren't county deputies, uh, county sheriffs. None of that existed uh, back in the territory back then. So uh, they basically had free reign there. And, of course, the, the Red River is, for the most part, it's a very shallow river. Uh, there are parts of it that are pretty wide and a little bit deeper, but uh, it was shallow. And uh, it was easy to cross. So they would cross over uh, the river and, and attack and raid these settlements along the, uh, the waterway there on the Texas side and then, you know, flee back into the territory for protection. Was Range an actual um, settlement? No, no. Range is a was... fictional town. It's, it's, fictional. A, it's a, one of my creations. Yeah. Now, there are many towns along the way that appear in the book that are actual towns and are still in existence today. But Range itself is a fictional town. Well, you know, something I found so interesting, and for listeners who are just joining us, we are talking to author John Lane. His newest book is Red River Reunion. It's a classic Western, and it's just so exciting. I mean, it's truly, I hate using cliches like page turner, but it is a page turner. You know, I didn't I didn't mm-hmm. want to put it down once I started reading it, John. It's just so great. And of course, I love I love anything that has to do with Westerns and horses anyway. But uh, it sounds like so many of those towns, as you said, they did not have any law enforcement or marshals or anything. And they were always they were writing to the governors and writing, you know, to try to get somebody in town. But also the mayor could just deputize somebody who decided they wanted to be or, as you said, they could, you know, if they had the skills um, with keeping law that they could just make them a deputy? Is that how it worked? Well, in, in many cases, yes. Some of the towns and in, in settlements uh, that, that weren't real organized uh, would gather together, and oftentimes it would be the prominent business uh, people that were running uh, the boarding house, the, the hotel, maybe if, if the, the town was big enough to have a hotel. Of course, the saloon owner was a powerful the individual. Oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> Oh yes, you know that, they were they were powerful individuals. Point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely, but, you know, definitely. Well, towns- you know, you have uh, you talk about um, the the nuns coming in on a wagon train and Sister Sarah getting kidnapped and um, and I imagine that that was a very big thing as well in those days because. There's so many, you know, I know like Father Junipero Serra was establishing missions and trying, you know, everybody was trying uh-huh. to convert somebody. But that seemed like that had to be incredibly dangerous for these people who were trying to spread, you know, God's word, uh, but weren't really accompanied by anybody protecting them. No, that's correct. And and actually, the uh the, the part of the book that includes the uh, the nuns and, and the deacon uh, that were on their way to range up from San Antonio, that's actually historically accurate. Uh, the church, uh, which was based here in Texas back in 1877 down in Galveston, uh, they actually sent out 
you know, the different nuns and, and some of the deacons and some of the, the priests. Now I'm speaking of the Catholic Church in this particular um, instance, but all of the, the faiths uh, were trying to get westward expansion, uh, you know, with their, with their word and, and trying to establish churches in, in some of these uh, remote towns. And, and they were actually trying to do that back in uh, the late 1870s. Uh, San Antonio as uh, a lot of people know, there's a lot of uh, religious background there with the missions and such that you mentioned. And uh, these these nuns led by a deacon that uh, are on their way to range, uh, they are fictional characters, but that is based on uh, actual historical fact. Well, I found it so sad that after she is kidnapped by these hooligans, these outlaws, and raped, and then finally... There's that incredible, that was such a, a great, great scene that you wrote of the, of her being rescued by, by the good guys. <laughs> um, but how right. the deacon, how the deacon tells her that she can't be a nun anymore. And then, you know, there's more sadness that comes. That was devastating. And I imagine things like that happened where, you know, I mean, yeah. it was no fault of her own. That's correct. Uh, that's absolutely correct. And uh, that is also based on historical facts uh, and research yeah. that I did. Yeah, that made me so sad yep. about that, you know, and especially, well, obviously, it, uh, it, it changed, it changed everybody that was part of that. Now, one thing I want to get to in your the way that you write, John is so eloquent, so beautiful. And I it's just the language is so great. I wanted to just read a, a couple of sentences because I love the way that you use um, kind of idioms from that time. For example, rain tapped on the shed roof like a bored woodpecker beating against bark. <laughs> I loved that. Or like <laughs> tears from heaven, the deluge continued to pummel range as though God had decided punishment was due. You know, you just, it, it was just nonstop different fun, fun ways of describing things that were going on that I'm sure that's all based on the way people talked also in those days. Well, thank you very much for the compliments. I, I certainly appreciate that. And, and yes, it, uh, it is, uh, you know, uh, drawn from that era. Uh, not only in dialogue, but in descriptive, um, you know, trying to describe, you know, the various scenes and, and some of the action that is taking place. Uh, I try uh, very hard to keep it within uh, within that time frame, you know, that that I'm that I'm writing about. Well, and it's beautiful the way you write it. Now, another thing that you also talk, I mean, it's in every chapter, are the guns, the Winchesters, the Russians, the, you know, all the different kinds of guns. Was there, did, were you basing a lot of this, I know, of course, it's on research of guns of the time, but you're probably very familiar with all of this based on your profession. So, uh, or is did marshals and the the bandits and the Texas Rangers did they have a variety of different arms that they carried with them Oh no question uh the uh the technology in weaponry uh really was uh advancing very rapidly uh really during the civil war in the 1860s but then post civil war 
the uh, the firearms companies, uh, Smith and Wesson, Colt, um, yeah, Henry, and and such, uh, they were they were really competing against each other to advance. Uh, the technology and the weaponry in that, and there was a lot of availability uh, for individuals to have. It, it might surprise some people as to uh, the uh, degree of selection that uh, these individuals had. And, you know, not all of them, like anything else, not all of the uh, products were were uh, trustworthy and worthwhile, but uh, many of them were. And and the weaponry that you read about in, in uh, the Old West, and particularly in, in my books, uh, it is uh, heavily researched. I do have uh, an elevated knowledge on, on firearms and such because of my profession and so forth, uh, but... Uh, I wanted, I wanted all of the weaponry that was used here to be factual, of course. Nothing is fictionalized. And uh, if there was something uh, unique about them, I try and bring that out also. Particularly, that's why I chose the type of uh, handguns that my primary protagonist, Luxton Danner, carries. It was a very, very rare pistol in 1877. It was not mm. common at all. And uh, that's why I have him carrying those, because like Luxton Danner, I want him to be unique. He's carrying a very unique set of, of weapons uh, on him. Of weapons. Well, all of your characters are, are very unique, and I love the women in your characters. I loved Rachel. You know, I love I, I loved the hotel. I mean, my gosh, the breakfast and the... They seem like they were cooking all the time. But your prose, <laughs> your prose is very poetic. Everything, it's just beautifully written. And the horses, my gosh, they were such hard workers. And of course, then you also have you have the um, the bandits that pose as Indians by, you know, um, by going after wagon trains or farms or whatever and shooting arrows and trying to blame it on the Indian uh, territory. So it was just a fantastic read, and I'm looking forward to your next one. And for listeners, just so you know, John is also the author of Gunslingers, A Story of the Old West. So um, we're out of time, John, but I want you to kind of give me a wrap-up of what you would like people to know about Red River Reunion. I highly recommend it. Well, thank you again so much for uh, your recommendation and having me on the show. And uh, what I would like people to know about uh, all of my books, but uh, Red River Reunion in particular here, is that uh, they are written uh, in 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 a manner that is sort of uh, a lost art, in my opinion. Uh, I really like to base my books uh, and write my books in a manner that is uh, kind of a throwback to the dime novel era uh, where we've got, uh, you know, good, simple stories with complex characters and uh, rich scenery and, and such. And it's all, again, it is fiction. It is, it is a novel, uh, but there is a lot of uh, historical facts sprinkled throughout my books. And uh, I also... Uh, kind of uh, go along uh, the lines of uh, one of my uh, literary idols in the Western genre, Louis L'Amour. Louis L'Amour. Uh, I knew you were going to say that. Yep. I love Louis L'Amour. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you know, he once said that if he, if he had to use graphic language or, or graphic 
uh, scenes to uh, capture readers' attention, then he didn't feel he was a very good writer. And, and I sort of adopt that. I think you saw in Red River Reunion, I don't use uh, real graphic language, and I try to keep uh, my scenes uh, uh, away from, from real graphic uh, descriptions so that they can be enjoyed by uh, everyone who enjoys reading. By all ages, but also your yes. book is filled with so much detail of the period. It feels so authentic. And as you said, um, the richness of the landscapes, I, there was no doubt that you really understood the territory and the land. And, uh, you know, I felt like I was there. That's what I want to say. I was on the horses with you. You know, I was writing. I, I, I just couldn't, I, I just loved it. I really, really was transported to the Red River. And I was just hoping that I didn't get shot or kidnapped by one of the bandits. Well, let's give out your website. It's johnlanefiction.com. Lane is spelled L-A-Y-N-E. So johnlanefiction.com. And again, the book we're talking about is Red River Reunion. Although go to his website, you'll see his other books. And of course, we're hoping that you will also write a book one day about detective work, because I'm sure you've got lots of twists and turns and plots and all kinds of exciting things of your years of law enforcement. So thank you so much, John, for being on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and keep riding into the sunset as you say saddles and spurs forever i'm with you john thank, <laughs> thank you so you. much cynthia thank you so john lane red river reunion visit johnlanefiction.com you're listening to cynthia bryan this is star style be the star you are we're coming to you live on the voice america network don't go away we have a bit more to go before the end of the show The star you are, be the star you are, you are the Change your world, change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites, here's Cynthia Bryan. It's a new year, so whatever your goal, go for it. All things, even what seems impossible, can be accomplished when you take a few important steps. Visualize the prize, identify a specific goal, and imagine yourself achieving it in every detail. For example, if you want to be a professional speaker, see yourself speaking to thousands of people, making a difference in their lives. Write down your visualizations and repeat them to yourself every day. As you do, your belief and confidence will grow. Choose a role model. Inspirational role models demonstrate possibilities and provide invaluable sources for motivation, strength, and hope. Keep reminders of your goals and dreams on cards and put them where you'll see them often. The refrigerator, the dashboard, mirrors, your computer. Pick yourself up after a setback. See mistakes as opportunities to learn and develop new strategies. Mistakes are inevitable, they're valuable, and they're essential for growth. So remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com. That's CynthiaBryan.com. Be the star you are. The star you are. 
The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. bethestarur.org. Dare to care. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. Well, in case you couldn't tell, I really, really loved Red River Reunion. I mean, if you are... A, um, a fan of Westerns, if you will really enjoy this. If you liked books by Louis L'Amour, you'll love it. You know, um, if you ever liked Westerns on TV, as I was saying, even all the old reruns, you know, like the Rawhide and any Clint Eastwood films, um, Hang 'em High, Good, Bad, and Ugly, you'd, you'll really enjoy this. So make sure to check out his website, johnlanefiction.com. So I want to talk about the Swiss cheese model for combating COVID-19. It's really important to understand that a vaccine on its own isn't going to be enough to extinguish this pandemic because it is just very pernicious. And the pandemic can't be stopped through just one intervention because even vaccines are imperfect. So once introduced into the human population, viruses continue to circulate among us for a long time. It's likely to be as long as a year or even more before this COVID-19 is in wide, uh, the vaccine is in widespread use if people decide to get it. And it, you know, there's going to be difficulties along the way. So controlling COVID-19 is going to take a good deal more than just a vaccine. So for at least another year, the U.S. has to rely on a multi-pronged approach, one that's going to go beyond simplistic bromides and the all-or-nothing responses. Individuals and workplaces and governments are going to need to consider a diverse and sometimes disruptive range of interventions. So it helps to think of these in terms of a layer of defense, each layer providing another barrier. And it's kind of like Swiss cheese, you know, putting Swiss cheese in a stack. In fact, the Swiss cheese model is a classic way to conceptualize dealing with a hazard that involves a mixture of human, technological, and natural elements. It was the the British psychologist James Reason who introduced that model more than about 30 years ago, to discuss the failures in complex systems such as nuclear power or commercial aviation or even medical care. So this is an invaluable way to think about the response to COVID-19. Last month, there was a a graphic that illustrated the Swiss cheese model, and it was uh, sketched by an Australian virologist, and it became an immediate online sensation. Um, by people who are watching for COVID-19. 
because what it did is it showed particles of the SARS-CoV-2 virus passing through layers of Swiss cheese and shrinking in numbers as it negotiated the holes and finally being stopped at the end. So the main non-pharmaceutical tools available to us in responding to this deadly circulating virus come in two broad categories. At the individual level, the intervention include washing hands, wearing masks, and self-isolation. And then by definition, these actions involve a certain amount of personal agency. Though some Americans have been um, punished in recent months for flouting rules, individuals usually have some control over how much they implement them and in what settings. But there's only so much that individuals acting on their own can achieve, no matter how much they wash their hands or wear masks or maintain a physical difference. So collective interventions are also needed if we're going to stem the spread of this deadly infectious disease. And such actions are usually coordinated or mandated by the governments, and they involve and affect everyone, although a lot of people don't like what they have to do. So these policies would include disinfecting public spaces, closing borders, restricting movements, shutting schools, banning gatherings, closing businesses, instituting testing or contact tracing or quarantining or issuing these stay-at-home orders that we've all had. And because of these sort of interventions, they often impose real hardships on people who remain or at least appear uninfected. And it provokes resentment and even resistance. So another way to think about these interventions, individual and collective, is in respect to how they operate as barriers to spreading the disease, like Swiss cheese. <laughs> so like wearing a mask, hand washing, sanitizing public uh, places, or having those plexiglass barriers, it achieves the effect by reducing the transmission of the pathogens. And others like self-isolation or quarantining or school or business closures work by modifying the pattern of human interactions to deprive the pathogen of opportunities to spread. So they are reducing social contact. So these various approaches, whether they're individual or collective, or whether they're aimed at reducing transmission or contact they're not mutually exclusive. In fact, they often are, have very many complementary strengths and weaknesses, and they work best in combination, like using um, both chemotherapy or radiation to treat a cancer. So each layer of a defense can reduce the impact of the virus. Again, so think about stacking two slices of, of Swiss cheese. It might be possible to look through two pieces through a hole that happened to line up but after stacking like four, then the random holes are much likely to disappear. So, of course, some layers, such as testing, masking, and a vaccine, might be more effective than others, such as sanitizing services. But the Swiss cheese slices with fewer or smaller holes, no single intervention is enough. So even after a vaccine is widely available, all of these other interventions are still needed, at least for a while. So unfortunately, in the early days of the virus and the rollout of masking, everything seemed to be muddled. But now the Swiss cheese model can show us a path forward for some sensible, 
science-based policies at the local and national level. And first, it's clear that in order to stop the spread of the virus and deflect the course of the pandemic, we need to think in terms of deploying enough layers of Swiss cheese. So I really like that. The country needs a fresh start in how we discuss and solve this crisis. And we can realize that we can all bear responsibility for implementing multiple interventions and that in doing so, is actually going to free us from other more serious constraints on our social and economic lives. And so public health officials and political leaders, they can help us implement shrewdly these chosen policies in a timely way, and that way we'll gain some public support for them. So in a basic, in an epidemic, a basic task of leaders is to help people understand what's happening and to model good behavior themselves. So let's all model good behavior. Let's use the, uh, the Swiss cheese model and do as many things as you possibly can to have personal agency. And in that way, perhaps even if you don't get the vaccine, we'll all end up being okay in a few months. So that's our show for today. Thank you for being such wonderful listeners and coming here on the New Year's shows. I hope that you will be with me every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific. Um, my name is Cynthia Bryant, and I like bringing you advice as well as authors and experts from around the world. You can change your life and make your dreams come true. And at the same time, you can read some exceptional books that you might not have even thought about. If you'd like more information about me, you'll find it at CynthiaBryan.com. To make a donation or get information about Be The Star You Are charity, visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate you. I want you to see beyond your physical being. Know you're already the star you dreamed of becoming. Cherish the past. Dream of the future. But celebrate today. And read a book this week. It's like a garden in your pocket. And I recommend Red River Reunion. So until next Wednesday, when we celebrate once again, remember that love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. I'm Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you and encouraging you to be the star you are. Be your unapologetically authentic self and make 2021 a wonderful, healthy, happy year for you. Dream, create, inspire, make a difference, and have a happy new year. We do have a choice. No matter what's going on in our lives, we can choose to be happy or choose to be sad. So let's choose happy. Happy new year, and I'll talk to you next Wednesday. Thanks for joining me. Be the star you the star you are, be the star you are, you are the star. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. 
For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are. Thanks again for listening.